rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Rumors of Grace. Bob Hutchins here. I'm speaking with a friend of mine that uh, we connected years ago, and now we're reconnecting again. And he was kind enough to have me on his podcast, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, But before we talk about the podcast and all the other great stuff we're going to talk about today, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, Let me give you a brief introduction. Aaron Maines is first a huge fan of music, and this love for music led him from his home state of Texas to Nashville, where I am, where he began his early career in music. He, having served as a marketing and content director for global entertainment brands, including Warner Music Group and Entertainment One, as well as Grammy and Dove Award-winning artist, he's been connecting art and content to churches for over two decades. Um, In the mid-2000s, Aaron's personal faith went through his own deconstruction in the midst of an early progressive or emerging church movement. And that's been part of Aaron's journey toward and his call. Uh, We're going to talk about this, which is spiritual direction and leading faithful ragamuffins and pilgrims to find new faith experiences. So he's moved from Nashville back to Texas, where he's a spiritual director. Uh, He's a knower of the Enneagram, which I can't wait to talk about that. He's a haphazard practitioner of spiritual practices, and he's a wisdom person. And he's the host of the Reconstruction Calls podcast. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Yeah, yeah. So your podcast is called The Reconstruction Calls, and Mm -hmm. you actually call and talk to people about their own reconstruction. And I was uh, fortunate enough to be one of those those people, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, I've been listening to some of your podcasts. It's super, super interesting. So so thanks for that. But h- how has it been going? How has the podcast been going so far? Yeah, it's great. You know, a lot of my life is uh, people randomly telling me about their faith. And so, uh, like, weirdly even, um, like someone is cutting my hair and we're uh, it starts with like talk about the Cowboys and it ends up with how uh, their sister died and they just don't know if God exists anymore. Um, mm. And so uh, Reconstruction Calls is really uh, me responding to wanting other people to hear those stories. Mm. And uh, so I don't um, I don't have a lot of celebrities on um, uh, <laughs> Uh, or even quasi celebrities. What I what I really like to do is just hear people's stories, and yeah. so uh, I think um, oftentimes people going through deconstruction or reconstruction or transfiguration, depending on if you follow Richard Rohr or or different <laughs> different teachers, um, they call it different things. But certainly um, the story is similar or the same. But ultimately, uh, it can feel pretty lonely when you're mm. uh, going through that, you feel like uh, maybe I'm the only one or uh, it's scary to kind of come out to your community in that way or, you know, friends, neighbors, church, church friends, uh, spouses, any and all of that. And so what I really wanted to do was to start, start uh, was to start sharing stories uh, of other people so that uh, mm. just, just a normal person anywhere could say, you know, I hear a lot of my own story in that person's story. And so, Bob, it was great to have you on and um, for you to to share some of your story, which is, uh, you know, it was, was great to hear. Uh, it's, it's great to hear people in the midst of their own journey, um, which oftentimes is the best way to describe it. And, and to be able to say, I, uh, I'm not finished, uh, but here I am, and I'm trying to be true to myself and listen to my heart and, and let God work with that. And isn't that such a good place to be? And I think ultimately, uh, that's what I want for people as a spiritual director. That's, that's sort of the work I do is to, to help people to see God in new ways. Um, 
a lot of times we're trained to see God in only one or two ways. We've trained ourselves out of habit or mm. uh, whatever that looks like. And so our upbringing, our, what, where our denomination comes from, that sort of thing. And so helping people to see God in a new way um, is really yeah. a blessing for me. Honestly, it's, uh, you know, um, it's a, it's a really great thing. It's, it's not so much, supposed to be for me, but I certainly get a lot out of it. That's great. That's great. Well, before we go any further, um, and I want to hear more about your story and your experience, but before we do, can you just put a definition of what is a spiritual director and why does someone need one? Sure. Um, I like to tell people uh, or ask people, uh, really, like, who do you talk to about God? Um, oftentimes the people we talk to about God are, um, friends or pastors or, uh, you know, most of the time it's just friends. And so, uh, but when you, uh, if you're going through a depression, um, you wouldn't just talk to friends about depression. Um, and so mm -hmm. there are trained people, uh, uh, so spiritual direction is a lot like counseling, except that uh, we don't deal with any behavioral issues. So mm. uh, we only deal with really sort of God and spiritual issues. And so um, I like to think of it as a time. It's a very intentional time. In a way, it's a spiritual practice uh, for, for you to a lot. Typically, it's like one hour a month, um, a 50-minute hour, just like counseling. And so you allot one hour for yourself a month to come and do intentional spiritual work just for you. Um, and so what a spirit, the, the term spiritual director sounds like we have some kind of uh, list that we're going to then direct you in. But ultimately what a spiritual director is, is just a trained listener. Um, so we're trained to listen for God and, um, mm. And so what that means is, is it's a lot like talk therapy. So you, you come in, um, different dire every director is different. Uh, some of them are trained differently than others. Uh, there are, um, there's what's called the Ignatian practices. Um, and so some people that are very into like the Ignatian practices, um, that's based off like St. Ignatius has a whole series of uh, a lot, it's mostly like reflecting. So it's, it's in number of practices. Typically it's daily, daily practices. But, um, for me, I'm not necessarily trained that way, although I do have a grasp of that stuff. But for me as a director, um, what I do is just listen for ways to help you find spiritual freedom. And oftentimes I work with a lot of people who share a similar story to me. Um, and that means that they have come out of typically an evangelical world. And they are, uh, what I hear a lot of today is I don't think that I believe in God anymore. Mm. And so a lot of my work today is helping people find God anew in their lives. They don't have a concept of a way to do that. And so when they say, I don't believe in God anymore, what they're, I believe what they're really saying is I just don't believe in the God that I was taught. And, but, but I have no way, I have no new language for discovering God in my life. And so it's, it's easy for most of us to just say, I don't think that I believe in God anymore. Um, and so oftentimes I'm just helping them. The first phase of that is honestly to name that there's a loss that you've lost God and that you're, uh, you need to grieve that loss. And mm -hmm. then, um, the second part of that, I think, is just giving, helping people to find new language or to see God in a new way. And so sometimes that's through new community. Sometimes that's through new spiritual practice. Sometimes that's just helping people uh, gently find easy ways to access the divine. And... Mm. Um, you know, like I told someone the other day, you hanging out around a campfire with your best friends, mm. that's a pretty holy moment. Yeah, and, for sure. 
not everyone recognizes that as a holy moment. It's like, it just feels good. You know, it's, it feels good. It feels right. But it's like, but you're in nature, you're together, you're connected. And in that, you know, God says, uh, well, in, in the Bible, the scripture says, uh, where, where one or two of you are gathered, I will be there with you. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I think we don't think, hey, if we're just sitting around the campfire together, we're just having a good time. But in a lot of ways, that's a very holy moment. Um, and so sometimes it is me literally pointing that out to people and then starting to see, wow, when I do that, I have I feel so connected to, to the earth and to my friends and to people. Mm-hmm. And that connection is divine. And if we can learn to see things that way, uh, that gives us a whole new view on life and a whole new view on God. And so oftentimes it, it can be that simple. Um, so as a spiritual director, I don't do a lot of, it's, it's not really my own story. It's a lot of you telling me stuff. And then we collectively listen together. Um, mm. So that's a long way around of saying uh, what a spiritual director does is listen, looks and listens for God in your life. Um, mm. and, and so it's sort of the objective uh, third party uh, who hopefully... If, if I'm doing it right, um, I'm listening for the Holy Spirit or the universe or the connecting point, the creator, um, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, we're, we're finding that in your life together. So, mm. so if I'm doing it well, it's a, it's a real spiritual direction is a real intentional time for mm. people to look for God in their lives. Mm. That's great. That's great. And do people do people seek you out, Aaron? Is is it like do you put out a shingle and said, "Hey, I'm a spiritual director"? How, how does that even work? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, so I have a website, Aaron Mains, A A R O N M A N E S dot com, and that's really the home of uh, my spiritual direction practice. And so, mm. um, you know, I work with people. Uh, work with people who are, uh, I'll say like professionally spiritual. So they might be pastors or, uh, counselors or, uh, chaplains. I, I have a number of chaplain clients. Um, and then I just have, uh, you know, uh, the, the non-professionally spiritual mm. as well. So, uh, oftentimes those are people who, uh, boy, the Enneagram has, uh, I call the Enneagram the gateway drug of spirituality. Um, <laughs> uh, ultimately, the Enneagram has opened a lot of people up to knowing about themselves. And in their knowing about themselves, they mm-hmm. are discovering that they carry some level of divinity in themselves and that they honestly can trust themselves. And mm-hmm. so oftentimes, um, oftentimes I'm, I don't, I don't love to always talk about the Enneagram in spiritual direction work, but it is a good tool in the tool belt for sure. Um, yeah, I've, I've experienced that myself. It's been a, it's been a lifesaver and I know that's, that's a pretty bold phrase, but it, it allows you to realize that you're not alone, that there are mm-hmm. other people who cope and deal and think through, uh, their internal space in a similar way. Mm-hmm. And it also allows you to have grace, not only for yourself, but for other people, uh, when you begin to learn, you know, what, what energy, uh, on, uh, of those nine Enneagram numbers that they spend a lot of time in, um, you can have grace and understanding that you can say, oh, they're not being a jerk or <laughs> they're not yeah. intentionally being difficult um, they're really wired in certain in a certain way that that's how they see the world and they how they deal with with certain things in their life and sure. um, it allows you to put other glasses on um, that you know many times we forget we have our own glasses on but they're different than most people's glasses. Absolutely, so. there's an equality to it. Um, you know, I think a lot of times in my experience, it's been sort of an equality of humility, um, mm. in a sense of, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of, uh, 
origins of the Enneagram were that they, uh, the Enneagram masters didn't teach you the entire Enneagram. They just taught you your number. And so they would say, it's your work to do. Uh, mm. you, and, and so if we're doing the work, uh, that's what's hard about the Enneagram having become sort of a uh, cocktail party conversation. Yes. Is, uh, it's not just uh, like a test that you take, you get to know your number and then you, and then you're done, right? There's, there's, it's a continued work. And so um, I'm not against the cocktail party uh, numbering uh, system uh, because I do think it gives people insight. Um, And then for other people, they get that number and then they go deep, deep, deep into the Enneagram. And and I think that's a healthy thing to do. Uh, Yeah. The biggest help for me is, um, you know, there is a novelty in finding your number and, and then, and then that um, kind of surreal reality of it being so accurate that you, you feel like someone's like filming your life, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yes. Like the Truman show. And, um, and so, but, but I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I love Dr. Jerome Libba's uh, work mm-hmm. uh, down in Atlanta, and he's written uh, books on the Enneagram. And in his approach, I think, is so healthy and so balanced because his background is in studying neuroscience and the brain. Is is really the, the Enneagram is just a representation of the whole human being, and we all have. Um, all nine numbers within us. At mm-hmm. sometimes, at, at different times in our lives, we can dis- display and engage in activity and, and coping mechanisms and good, bad, and different, healthy and unhealthy ways. And all nine numbers were not just one number. And I think what the Enneagram should do is help us to be fully integrated to say, you know, if you are acting or responding in a certain characteristic that lines up with, you know, the system that says you're acting like a seven, but when you're unhealthy, you act like a one, Mm -hmm. but when you're really healthy, when you're healthy, you act like a five. And many times that health is, um, opposite of what you normally engage in. And what that identifies allows you to do is to say, um, you know, I can be self-aware to know, you know, I can, I can be, and I can act. And there are parts of me, um, that can be very healthy and act in healthy ways. And there's parts of me that can be very unhealthy. Um, but we're, like you said, it's not just a cocktail party to say, well, I'm this, mm-hmm. um, cause you're not just that you're, you're actually all nine numbers. You just happen to cope and, and live in the energy of, of one or two of them. Right. 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 That's a, that's a, and I think it's a, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm over 40, uh, now. And so I think that, uh, the beauty of that is the, this idea of wings. So we've always called it like the midlife crisis, but you know, either side of your number is your, is your wings. And, um, a lot of the teachers say that uh, you spend your first half of life developing one wing and your second half of life developing your second wing. And honestly, that's been true in my own life. Um, I'm a five. And so uh, my six wing was very present through sort of the first half of life for me. Um, mm. And it's been a really great process for me to uh, jump the big gap at the bottom of the, uh, of the Enneagram circle from five to four mm-hmm. and to, to sort of, uh, now be fostering sort of an authentic wing. And what that has meant for me is a lot of release of my own ego. And so operating mm-hmm. out of a different place, um, to release a lot of fear. I think there's a lot of fear that came with my six wing. Um, and, uh, a lot of fear and anxiety and to release that into um, a place of saying you can go and be uh, mm. and just be who you are and let that guide you. And in within that, that God is present there. I think if there's anything that my spiritual direction work has taught me um, is that God is with us. And mm. so uh, God is with us and God is for us. And, um, that is certainly different than the message I grew up with, uh, in religion and in faith. 
Um, but it is certainly present in my life today. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what, uh, let, let's, let's move from your practice and what you do as a spiritual director to your own personal story. Um, you know, the term ex-evangelical is, mm-hmm. is certainly something that has become more and more popular, and many of us consider ourselves ex-evangelicals. I know you call yourself an ex-evangelical. What does that mean to you, and how did you become an ex-evangelical? Well, I just learned that term uh, maybe a year or two ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, my reality was that in my... So I grew up, uh, I went to a pretty fundamentalist, uh, independent Baptist school. Uh, my parents weren't necessarily on board with all of that. So the way that flushes out today is uh, like Liberty University. So the school that I went to, Liberty University, was sort of the uh, maybe too liberal school that they would advise you to go to for college. So they were more wow. into more conservative uh colleges if you were going to do that. Um, like Bob Jones type or? Yes. Like Bob Jones, Pensacola Christian. Um, those wow. are the, those are sort of the colleges we were encouraged to go to. Uh, and so um, I'm just trying to give the, the overview of where I'm coming from. And so I went to Bible class every day. We had chapel once a week. Um, we had revivals in the spring and the fall. Uh, so week long chapel revivals during school. Um, and so, and then, you know, but I was in, um, so I, I don't say all of that to tell you that that was a real bad thing. Cause I was pretty in, um, I was, I'm a, a curious person. I've always been curious. I had lots of questions. Um, I was trusting of my parents and of the system. And so, um, I had great, I had a great youth pastor starting like in my middle school years through high school, um, had a great relationship with my own church, which was a Southern Baptist church. Um, I had a lot of caring adults and caring community around me. And so I was very, you know, I believed, um, I believed strongly what I was supposed to be believing. And um, I was in. And, uh, well, the tricky thing about that is when you live inside of a bubble like that, when you get outside of your bubble, you think everybody outside of the bubble is different and probably against me and Mm. most likely very evil. (laughs) Right. And so when you get outside of your bubble and people aren't evil and people are kind and, uh, willing to, help you and take care of you. Um, yeah. Uh, it really pops your, it really like pops the bubble for you. And Mm. you start to say, was, was all of that stuff that I was into wrong? Um, and so, you know, so many people, uh, use, use ideas like a Jenga tower or, um, a sweater that you pull, you pull the thread of, um, those are some of the most common sort of metaphors that I hear. Hmm. Uh, so whether somebody pulled my Jenga block out or somebody pulled my thread out, um, about my mid twenties. Um, I, so I moved from, from Dallas, the Dallas area to Nashville to go to college and then started working in music. Um, I was married, um, Things were great, uh, but in for my wife and I both, and in in our like mid twenties, um, our faith stuff just didn't add up. It just wasn't making sense, and it wasn't something I would tell anybody, especially in in that time. Um, but I was always a little left of center, even for my um, even for my like really Christian community. I was a little left of center. I was into uh, this doesn't sound super progressive now, but I was into like Rich Mullins, which in, introduced me, uh, to, uh, the author Brennan Manning. And so, mm-hmm. um, I had this new concept of like ragamuffin people. I was really into Rich Mullins, who was this 
Christian singer songwriter, and um, he was a chain smoking, uh, beer drinking <laughs> uh, guy who was into kind of alter spirituality, especially for like the Christian music community. So, um, and so that the sort of authenticness of the way that those people would talk about their lives, uh, I was really, really drawn to that. Um, mm. I had a lot of fear. I think that goes back to my six wing. I had a lot of fear to live authentically into that. Um, but those people were very compelling to me. And so uh, what's so fascinating now is I was in college and um, I picked up a ragamuffin gospel. Uh, there's a Brennan Manning book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And I picked this book up and I read it in one, like I read it in like four hours. It's not a very long book, but I read it in four hours. And uh, in that book, Brennan Manning quotes people like, Richard Rohr and he quotes mm. people, uh, like different saints. Um, uh, whether it be, uh, uh, Teresa of Avila or, um, any number of people he's quoting these great, uh, mystical, spiritual reconstructed people. <laughs> mm. And I had no concept. I didn't know who those people were. Uh, I didn't know why they would be in a book from a kind of, you know, evangelical Christian author. I had no idea why he would be writing about these Catholic teachers. And so to come full circle, those are the, those people are my lifeblood now. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, so in the midst of, in the mid two thousands, uh, um, I started undergoing what I would just call a deconstruction. That's sort of the, the picture of it now. And um, I was fortunate to find a church that would have been called like an emerging church. And um, I had a pastor that uh, spoke into my life really in a big way and would listen and be open. And so that was a huge blessing. Um, mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, the church system has always worked for me. Um, that's kind of a funny thing to say, um, because in all of my questioning and journeying and walking away, um, the church has always been a place of refuge for me. And that's not true for everybody. So I don't say that lightly. Uh, and, and so what began occurring from there, uh, is an effort for me to stay involved with church because I wasn't ever really at a place of getting rid of God. Um, mm -hmm. Although I felt like I didn't believe in God anymore um, because what I wasn't believing in were sort of the social practices of the Christian, of the Christianity that I had grown up with. Um, and so by, I don't know, by the, what do they call them? The aughts, by the aughts, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty healthily on a reconstruction path. And, um, that was a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work. And it was, a, a lot of me reading. So I, I read my way out, which I think is what everybody essentially has to do. Um, and so it's, it's reading the craziest. It's like, who is the, for me, it was, who is the craziest person I can go read, uh, that is the furthest fringe thing. And can I wrap my brain around that? Can I wrap my heart around that? Um, and so that led me on a, I'm, so I'm a five on the Enneagram. And so in a lot of ways, uh, fives love to go on information gathering expeditions. And so, mm -hmm. um, essentially I spent about five to 10 years gathering information about a new way to have a belief in God and in Jesus and the Holy spirit in a way that I never ha would have had before. And, um, that includes, you know, uh, people, big, big people in my life in terms of like authors or, are people like, um, uh, Walter Brueggemann and, um, uh, Brian McLaren and mm -hmm. uh, Rachel Held Evans, Rob Bell, um, Marcus Borg, John Shelby Spong. 
uh, Brennan Manning, um, and on and on. The list is, the list is long, and and it continues to grow. And there there's so many great authors and teachers out there now who um, can really speak to this this thing that I honestly believe is a move of the Holy Spirit inside of the church, and mm. it's drawing people away from the organized religion uh, that is the evangelical movement that is only, you know, a hundred to 150 years old is sort of an American invention. Um, and so what is great is that, um, that idea of God is young in the big scheme. And so mm. for me, um, there's a lot of sanity in saying, uh, Teresa of Avila is writing about mystical experiences and prayer in the 1300s. And um, so if when I felt heretical uh, to my sort of Baptist upbringing, what I could know was that 800 years ago, <laughs> someone was also doing this and mm. they were also called heretics. Right. Um, and so I do believe I had a, a friend that used to say every generation gets to take the books off the bookshelf and read them and determine if they want to keep on calling those holy or not. And mm. I think that's just what's happening for so many people, whether they be sort of Gen Xers, millennials, wherever they're at as, as the sort of Gen X and millennial groups, enter midlife for, for a lot of Gen Xers, they're sort of post midlife, but, um, that's the time of life when people start to question, uh, and what they, wh I think a lot of times what they're doing is they're trying to become a more authentic version of themselves. Hmm. And that's a really beautiful thing. And that's a beautiful moment. And it's a time that I believe that they can find God anew. It certainly was for me, although my process started a little earlier than others. But for me, what midlife has meant for me is if I will own my story, then I can be a gift to other people. And I don't, mm -hmm. I don't really say that in a way of saying like, I'm a big gift to other people, but why, what, why I started doing my own podcast is because other people's stories are gifts to people going through the same process. So Bob, your story is a gift uh, for other people. And so when you say, I did this, this happened to me, and I'm still standing. I lost my ability to believe in this, and I have recovered this new thing. That gives hope to people. And um, I have a, a friend who, in the last three years, she um, went through a complete faith deconstruction, and that has ended up, for her, in divorce from her spouse because he could not go there with her. Mm. And I've sat with her while she has cried and just said, I don't know what to do. I feel like God blew up my life. And, mm. um, but, and it feels like that. It does feel like that, that God, I would say that God blew up my life. And, um, and then we sort of started picking up the pieces and, uh, so, you know, I'm a good 10 or 15 years from that, like, first moment. And so I just feel like in response to God, my calling in life is to help people walk, to help people navigate that. Um, yeah. So that's a long way around of saying um, I've come, you know, the spiritual direction part for me as a part of my story is oftentimes me just responding to God um, and, and, and knowing that the deconstruction, which was hard and messy and continues to be, um, the reconstruction is also hard and messy and continues to be. Um, but it's all sort of, it's all a blessing. Uh, it's all, it's all ended up being a blessing. And if my wife were here, she would say, that's so weird to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I totally relate in so many ways. Um, so, 
you said that you believe this is a move of the spirit. And so is the spirit leading Christians and people of faith of all walks to new spiritual places, even to the detriment of the church? Do you believe that? I do believe it. Um, that may be the most outrageous thing that I believe. <laughs> um, and actually, well, I, I agree with you, by the way. <laughs> um, this is a, this is a weird thing to say for a progressive Christian to recommend, but um, Francis Chan has a great book called Forgotten God. And, um, you know, what's tricky is when you say um, the Holy Spirit, that's a term that comes with a lot of baggage, especially if you come from a church of God or assemblies of God or charismatic background. Um, the Holy spirit is what Francis Chan says in that book is the Holy spirit is the least understood God that we know. And so what we have done is sort of just left them out. <laughs> mm. Um, and so for a lot of evangelicals, they jokingly say my church, we believed in God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Bible. And, um, what is beautiful about the Holy spirit is that the Holy spirit isn't static. And so you have this idea that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and Jesus, so that's sort of how we believe about God the Father. And Jesus is this character in Scripture who comes in and says, I know what you thought you believed about God, that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever, but I'm telling you, I'm sort of moving your cheese on that a little bit. Um, and so Jesus comes in counterculture to the religion of the day in the in a sense, the religion that God set up. Um, and then in the New Testament, we watch people like Peter have dreams where the heavens unfold and God tells Peter, you can do things that you think you can't do. You can eat this meat that you think you can't eat. And Peter says, no, no, you, God, told us not to eat that meat. And God says, I'm not telling you that anymore. And we look at people like Nicodemus who come to Jesus in the dark, uh, which is, isn't that great, Bob? That's what mm -hmm. we do in deconstruction. <laughs> we go to God in the dark, quiet places of our own souls and say, I have questions. Uh, and we don't voice those questions to people out loud in the daylight. We, we go to God in the dark and we say, I have questions. Now, the reason I love the story of Nicodemus is because Nicodemus is a Pharisee and he is a keeper of the law. And he is there saying, I don't think this is right anymore. And I'm asking Jesus for advice on what to do next. And that's so great. And so... In terms of the Holy Spirit, uh, in America, I think we have codified the Bible a lot like we've codified the Constitution, um, except that the Constitution lets us make amendments. And the Bible, for a lot of evangelicals, we don't get the chance to make amendments to the Bible, right? And so, but what the Holy Spirit says is that I, the Holy Spirit isn't static, the Holy Spirit isn't a fixed yesterday, today, and forever kind of God. The Holy Spirit uh, comes, and Jesus says, I have to go away so that one greater can come and lead you into all righteousness. Is that is that what he says? Lead you into all uh, something. Lead you into something better than I'm leading you into. Right, right. Um, and uh, what I love about Francis Chan's book is he says, we have forgotten that. We have forgotten that mm -hmm. fact that God is present on this earth and God is present within us because because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so you are free to listen to the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes what that means, 
there's a lot of the, I'm going to use a lot of words that have a lot of baggage for people, but it's things like prayer. And, and I don't just mean like petitionary prayer. I mean, uh, it could look like meditation. It could look like a walk in the woods. Um, it's, it's a, it's a time to, to settle and to clear and to say, what is it, God, that you'd have for me? How often do we even ask God for that? Oftentimes we think about prayer, we're like, help my football team win, uh, you know, like <laughs> help this person get well, that sort of thing. Um, but how often are we just saying, well, God, what what would you have for me? Um, so it's, it's a process of discernment. And in those practices, uh, those spiritual practices are letting the Holy Spirit speak into our lives. And so if we can get out of the way, uh, we can listen for the Holy Spirit in a new way. So how is that affecting the church? Well, the church is an organized religion and uh, it has doctrines. And what if we're, if we're jaded enough to know, most churches, um, especially large evangelical churches, are run by pastors, but ultimately they're run by donors. And uh, those donors have a lot of say in what the churches do. And so I don't, I don't know that that's always a, a completely negative thing, but that, that's, an, that's an organization rather than um, the church being a body of people who are being led by the Spirit. And so I say all that to say, um, Diana Butler Bass has done some incredible work on the nuns and the duns. And, you know, uh, in the last 20 to 30 years, there's been an explosion of people who confess that they don't believe in any kind of God or they're done with church. They're done with God. They have no religion. Um, and I just have to say that statistically, whatever that looks like and however you read that, um, I think the negative view is to say that the church has failed. But the flip side of that is to say that God is doing something new. And maybe the church, as we know it, is incapable of meeting the needs of all of these people. And so when you find out what they're actually doing, um, they used to go to the church to get these spiritual practices. And these spiritual practices might be things like spiritual and faithful community, uh, prayer groups, community groups, classes. But today we have things like TED Talks where we go and get sermons. And we have things like um, yoga classes where we go and we do, uh, we, we embody our, we embody belief. And so we breathe deeply and we, we feel our bodies as we stretch and move them. And we do things like soul cycle where we go and we, uh, do these like spiritual uplifting things or, you know, a lot of Enneagram eights are CrossFit people. And so they go sure. and they have this great community of people. And in a way it's very spiritual what they do. They're mm -hmm. accountable to each other. Uh, they make sure each other are there. They go, they, they work on their bodies, you know, and then they, they go and do whatever they do together. And so the church used to be the center of the spiritual community. What I think is happening now is that is, um, unbundling itself essentially. And so, uh, I don't see it as the Holy spirit is against the church. I just think the church has been the, uh, key place in the community. And we have found that, um, there's other places where we can go and get a lot of the same stuff. And so, but we're finding spiritual practices in new places. And mm. what I think is beautiful about that is people becoming more spiritual because they're drawn to things like yoga classes and mm -hmm. they're drawn to meditations. You know, there's all these apps now calm or, you know, any number of apps you can get that are meditation apps. But, you know, in Christian circles, we call meditation centering prayer. Um, so all, it's all these people meditating or praying, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, we're doing like as a people, we are embracing spirituality and, but it's outside the walls of the church. So in a way, I think that the Holy spirit is moving and working. Um, 
I don't, I don't know that we have to feel threat. The church doesn't have to feel threatened by that. I think the church has to, to figure out how to adapt. Hmm. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Um, last question I have for you is, um, what does it mean to find God within ourselves? Um, should that be a scary thing that that seems and feels like, you know, where you came from, especially, and, and to some degree where I came from, that seems like very heretical. Um, because I've come to the point in my life where I truly believe that God is within every human being. Um, and so for you as, cause I want, I want you to ask, answer this in two ways, uh, is one is a spiritual director hat on, and then one is the Aaron Maine's personal life experience hat is what does it mean to find God within ourselves? And, and, and should that be a scary thing? Well, the reason I like the Enneagram is because it does teach us about ourselves. Um, in the world I grew up in, like many evangelical folks, we are taught that we are fallen beings and not worth trusting. Um, and so the first thing that we know about ourselves is our, our mythology is that Adam and Eve were in the garden. They ate the apple. We, we know the story. And we're not to be trusted. Um, so, uh, that's a message that we get early on and it is pervasive in our spirituality. And so when you do something like the Enneagram and it tells you some things about yourself, some things that you know were true, what it does is it gives you some place to say, hey, I, I think that I might be okay. I might be an okay person. Um, and so as we grow in that, um, and there's a way to grow, you know, there's there's the, the whole idea of listening to your ego versus listening to your authentic self. And so we certainly have to learn to discern those voices. Um but if we're listening to our authentic selves and we believe that God made us, then if we are listening deeply to our own selves, we're listening to the voice of God. Mm. And that sounds heretical, especially when you come from evangelical circles. And so oftentimes when I'm working with people, to help them to see God in a new way, I'm telling them that when they are connected, when they, when they are sitting outside around a campfire with their best friends, they are connected to God because they are right. at home with themselves and they are at home with these other people. And God is in the midst of that. And so, um, the more work you can do to understand how God made you, the more I believe that you can, the, the more available you are to see God in a new way. And um, for a long time, um, the church's doctrine was that, you know, uh, you, need to, you need to become a different person. You need to become a new right. being. And I think that if we know anything and what the Enneagram helps us understand is we need to become the best version of ourselves that we can become. Um, and that typically means we aren't living from our ego, although it always sneaks in. Um, but, but how many times in life do we get to just experience the best moments of ourselves and say, wow, that was, it's not so much to pat ourselves on the back and say, I was so good in that moment, but to say, wow, how did that moment feel? I felt alive. And mm -hmm. if we don't, isn't that what we want? We want to feel alive. And I think that's what God wants for us too. And so knowing what brings us life, uh, 
helps us be at home and helps us be um, uncovered before God. Mm-hmm. So back to the Adam mm-hmm. and Eve story. Um, you know, you could you could maybe use the word naked if you want, but to to be uncovered before God to say I am wholly open to you and I am not ashamed of myself. Um, wow, that's a moment that we don't we don't often attain. Um, so I do think that trusting ourselves, learning about ourselves, trusting ourselves, and learning how to dis- discern what is our you know. I, I keep using a lot of Enneagram lingo, but uh, in the Enneagram, they talk about essence. And so um, mining, mining our essence is really our mm-hmm. great life task. And mm-hmm. so uh, if, we, if we can figure out how to embody our essence, then I think we're on to a spiritual path that God only endorses. Mm, that's great. That's great. Well, this has been so good, Aaron. How can people connect with you? Is there a website? Is there social media? If somebody wants to learn more about maybe, you know, hiring you for spiritual direction or learning more about it or reading some of your content, how how can they connect with you? Sure. You can just go to my website. It's www.aaronmains.com. So it's aaronmains.com. And, um, yeah, you can find all my info there, uh, social media links, podcast links, all of that. Uh, the Reconstruction Calls podcast, the best way to find out how to listen to that is aaronmains.com slash podcast, and you can find all the links there as well. Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for the work that you do. I mean, for those of us who, um, you know, uh, are going through some things, you you provide glimmers of hope and, um, I, yeah, I, you're in the, you're in a great spot doing spiritual direction. That seems to be your gifting. Um, so I appreciate it and thank you for, for sharing your story today. Yeah, Bob, thank you so much. Always good to talk to you. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>